Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show, Saleh Saeed, Chief Executive of the Disasters Emergency Committee, also known as the DEC. And it's a household name. The DEC is a household name here in the UK. And for overseas listeners who may not be familiar with the Disasters Emergency Committee, they are an umbrella group of UK charities, which coordinates and launches collective appeals to raise funds to provide emergency aid and rapid relief to people caught up in disasters and humanitarian crises around the world. Today, you're in for a real treat. It's a fascinating conversation. We're going to look at the work they do, how they operate when crisis strikes, what is the criteria for being triggered, as it were, and having the Disasters Emergency Committee come into action? How do they distribute funds? A step-by-step behind-the-scenes look at what happens when disaster strikes from a CEO's perspective at the Disasters Emergency Committee. So without further ado, Saleh, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you, Alberto. Really delighted to be here with you. So thank you for inviting me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. Obviously, uh, I know the Disasters Emergency Committee well. Uh, I think most people in the UK do as well. Uh, but tell us a little bit about what the DEC is all about. You're the chief executive. You're based here in the UK. And you come into action when things happen that aren't very positive. So what's the DEC all about? Sure. So the DEC, or the Disasters Emergency Committee, has actually been around for, for 60 years. Actually, uh, last year, December marked our 60th anniversary so been around for a while happy birthday thank you very much and, and as, as i hope some of your listeners will obviously know that the dec responds at times of major humanitarian crises overseas obviously things like earthquakes uh, tsunamis hunger drought and and quite recently as we've all seen you know conflict uh, whether that be ukraine or yemen or syria and of course uh, gaza is uh, and israel that part of the world is a, a really worrying uh, uh, area for us at the moment um our work is always done through our members we have uh, 15 member charities as we call them these are well known and well respected uh, ingos uh, based here in the uk but international in their footprint the likes of oxfam uh, Save the Children, uh, the British Red Cross, and of course all the Red Cross affiliates through that, uh, Islamic Relief, Christian Aid, and many, many others. And I know you've interviewed um, some colleagues and some friends uh, from, for example, the International Rescue Committee and Action Aid and, and, and many, many others. Um, so our work is through those member charities. So we have our footprint, if you like, through them being either on the ground in those sort of hotspots that we know are prone to humanitarian crises or increasingly working through uh, local uh, partners or national uh, partners. But the, where the really unique thing comes in from the DEC is our partnership with what we call here the Rapid Response Network and in, inside that are the broadcast partners. So this is BBC, ITV, Sky, Channel 4 and Channel 5. These are the broadcast partners. And but there are other uh, partners in the in the network, which I'm very happy to talk about a bit later on. So that partnership of on one side, the humanitarian charities with the global footprint, the reach, the expertise 
to be able to respond during major global uh, crises. And then on the other side, the broadcast partners here in the UK who reach, of course, millions of people across uh, the country. Um, so naturally, when something major happens and, you know, a good example would be, of course, the recent conflict in Ukraine, the Turkey uh, uh, earthquake that impacted both Turkey and Syria. And all people can see across our screens and hear on the radio and read in the press, at least for a you know a number of days, if not weeks and beyond, is the unfolding humanitarian crisis. Uh, and naturally, people, when they see the news, you know, would want to do something about it, would want to help. So the DEC comes into being as being the one-stop shop. We trigger these appeals once we've reached agreement to, to you know, that the criteria has been met. And I'd be very happy to talk more about that a bit later on. Um, and we've, we've, for example, just the most recent appeals that we've launched include Turkey-Syria. In fact, in Turkey-Syria earthquake, the uh, earthquake that struck um, southwest Turkey in February uh, last year, and we're close to marking the anniversary of that event, that has raised an incredible £150 million, predominantly from the UK public. So it shows the, the power of working together, but also, of course, the incredible generosity of the UK public, because our target is the UK public. Uh, we're not an international organisation in that sense. We are directing our efforts towards the UK public. And of course, extending that to corporates, trust foundations, and, and increasingly uh, UK uh, government. Uh, another a good example I can share with you is the Ukraine appeal, which has been absolutely phenomenal. And an outlier, that raised an incredible £420 million. Um, and of course, that money then gets allocated, disseminated between the members. Because we've done means we've done all our checks, our due diligence on the members and how they operate. You know, we ensure that they've got good governance in place, good financial controls, good quality programs, the expertise, and everything else. So that means that we're incredibly fast in terms of how we raise the money, how we distribute the money, and the members in turn means the members in turn mean that they can commit to humanitarian action as soon as we launch an appeal because they know the money is going to flow and going to come. That's one of the advantages of being a DEC uh, member charity, if you like. Um, and as, a, as I'm sure your listeners would appreciate, the, the money is spent on life-saving and life-protecting aid, things like uh, water, uh, shelter, uh, sanitation, of course, temporary shelter, and often beyond that, more uh, semi-permanent or permanent shelter. But increasingly... Uh, psychosocial support uh, and cash programming, which means people get some form of vouchers or cards or actual cash to buy the things they need. And I'd be more happy to talk about that later on. So, yeah, 60 years uh, that the DEC has been in existence, uh, £2.4 billion raised from the UK public, um, 77 appeals and supporting um over 60 countries or responding to over 60 countries and of course millions of people assisted during that period so very humbled and very privileged to be at the dc you touched on the the trigger mm. what's the criteria uh that that triggers your uh, your action what's the criteria that says okay we've met this criteria we need to mobilize 
Yeah. So uh, this is the criteria that we've agreed across the 15 member charities and uh, important, more importantly, with our broadcast partners, because, of course, the member charities are uh, in their very nature humanitarian organisations, so they want uh, to work together uh, as often as possible to raise as much money as possible. Uh, our broadcast partners, on the other hand, are, are the news outlets, entertainment industry, media, and they're not right, and they're not here to uh, just to serve uh, our humanitarian uh, uh, needs, if you like, or the needs of the member charities. So the criteria really governs how we work together. And I would um, perhaps suggest to your audience to look at dec.org.uk uh, in terms of how we launch appeals and how we decide to launch appeals for the full criteria but in essence there are three uh items that we look at the first one is around the scale of the unmet humanitarian need and i must emphasize here unmet humanitarian need because we're not here as a dec to uh replace the work of our member charities or indeed of course the the the, the very large and diverse humanitarian sector or indeed the work of governments but we are here to amplify and to help scale up the work of our members. Um, so well, when we talk about unmet, there are, of course, countries where we'd expect um, that they have adequate supplies, adequate expertise, adequate wealth to be able to respond. And, of course, countries like USA, the UK itself and elsewhere in Europe and so forth. Um, so and Japan, for example, has suffered from many tsunamis and earthquakes. We, we, we wouldn't respond in those countries unless there was a call for international uh, assistance, if you like, in, in, in that sense. So that's the first criteria about the, the scale of the unmet humanitarian need. And often it's very easy to determine that. The second criteria is around our ability or our members' ability to be able to scale up and reach those people in need. If, as we're seeing currently in 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 Gaza, um, the access is 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 restricted or very difficult, that means our members can't uh, scale up the work beyond what they can already deliver. If you like, so that makes a DEC appeal increasingly uh, uh, more difficult. Uh, but again, that's fairly easy for us to assess in terms of uh, access because we monitor events on the ground through our member charities, through the UN, through governments, through other sources of information. So we can quickly and rapidly assess what the humanitarian access is like for our member charities. And of course, ultimately, that is therefore the, the, the one key reason, which is we do not want to be raising millions and millions of pounds and not being able to spend it efficiently, rapidly and effectively. So there's a very big trust element here uh, with the public who support the DEC that we only launch when we know we can actually spend the money that you've given us. And that's very important for us. And the third criteria um, is around uh, public sympathy and awareness. Um, we all know, of course, sadly, there are um, lots of humanitarian crises around the world, whether localised at a national or regional level, that often sometimes don't hit our screens. We, we, we don't hear about them on the radio. We don't read about them in, in the press. Um, they may um, make some noise on social media and so forth and so on from, from those really interested individuals or advocates of, of that cause, if you like. Um, so the, the third criteria is meant really to make sure that it distinguishes the work of the DEC from 
that of other charities. We only come into being when there's really mass public awareness about these events and there is an interest and sympathy to support. And broadly speaking, I would say certainly in the last 10 years and and one if, even if we look back at our last 60 years, we've broadly got it right. We've called the right appeals at the right time. In fact, that's one of our sort of strategy uh, objectives is launching the right appeal at the right time. And that's easier said than done because we broadly have two types of uh, response or, or appeal rather. There's the one that um, is a rapid onset and that's really a sort of a, a, a an earthquake style appeal or a tsunami, a weather phenomenon that's um, you know just rapidly appeared and impacted tens of thousands of people and we all need to respond uh, very quickly and, and trying to launch an appeal within hours or days is obviously the real challenge for that appeal. On the other side are what we tend to call the sort of protracted crises or the slow burn and that tends to be something like a conflict appeal uh, or drought or, or, or famine in that sense uh, and for us it's really then uh, identifying and getting agreement for when is the best time to launch appeal in terms of obviously helping maximise the funds from the public when people are more likely uh, to support. So that's broadly the, the criteria and, and broadly in terms of how we make those decisions. Incredibly interesting and fascinating stuff, uh, despite the sober nature of your work. Give us a little bit of a glimpse of what your world looks like when catastrophe strikes. So you're there on a sleepy Saturday morning at home perhaps, and boom, something happened. A tsunami happened, an earthquake happens. What's that, um, how do things unfold in, in your personal and professional world? What are the sequencing of key connections, to-dos that you have to mobilize right there and then? Give us an insight of what it's like uh, at, at, at the helm of the DEC in the moment of crisis. Yeah, the vast majority I would say of our work is actually um, way before an appeal happens. It's that preparedness, the planning that goes behind uh, running an organization like the DEC has to be absolutely immense. And the relationships uh, that we hold uh, and maintain and grow have to be strong and ready. Um, as you said, sometimes you're having to make those calls on the weekend during holidays um, and, and, and being able to reach out to people at those times are, of course, critical. So for me, it is about relationships, making sure that those relationships are, are, are strong, understanding and flexible. And of course, um, besides earthquakes, um, no event is really unforeseen in that sense. Right. We have what we call a crisis register. And that crisis register has a number of hotspots, countries and areas that uh, are worrying in terms of the humanitarian crisis. And those hotspots are, of course, or that crisis register are built on information that we gather from our member charities who are on the ground, their local partners, the UN and uh, uh, many others. So the the likes of a, a sort of a, let's go for something a sort of in between, a sort of a, um, a, a, a flood or, or a tsunami or, or more rather a sort of a typhoon event, we can track that. We can track where the typhoon or the hurricane is going and be prepared for the potential impact of that. So that gives us some warning, if you like, 
Um, however, in the event of something like an earthquake, and Turkey, Syria is a really good example of one where we all woke up on the Monday morning, if I recall, on February the um, 15th, I think it was, or February the 5th, I can't remember the exact date. Immediately, our plans kick into action, regardless of the size of it, because we just do not know whether it's going to be, a, the impact is going to be within what we would call a DEC territory, i.e. is going to uh, result in a DEC appeal. We would kick into action regardless, because we now are working against uh, time. So immediately, I'm in touch with my team. Uh, we're a very small team here. We're uh, the DEC secretariat as it stands at the moment, is around 35, uh, 40 individuals, but we have been even smaller than that in the past. Um, so we're immediately gathering information from our members. We have a system of uh, uh, rapidly taking that information across uh, digitally, if you like, across the internet, uh, the number of people impacted, what they know on the ground, how many boots on the ground they have in terms of their own staff or their own partners and everything else. Now, um, the next step is obviously then to alert um, our wider partners, including the broadcast partners and others, and say, look, you've obviously seen the news. We're closely monitoring this. We will have further news for you in the coming hours. That just raises expectations, raises the alerts so people can, can get ready. Um, we are then expected to do what we call build a case for an appeal, um, which is basically looking at how we meet the criteria, that three criteria I mentioned earlier on, the scale of the unmet need, the um, access that our members have on the ground, and uh, likelihood of public sympathy and support. For something like an earthquake of that scale, where it became rapidly uh, known, the size of it and the number of people impacted, we were able to make a decision that very day. So on the Monday evening, that uh, we we agreed the criteria had been met, our broadcast partners had agreed the uh, appear the criteria had been met, and we were able to open all fundraising channels on the Wednesday and have the broadcast appeals live across all channels on the Thursday. So it was that 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 quick. Um, so that's a good example in terms of how rapidly we can change uh, that around. Now, of course, an organization like the DEC can't do all that incredible amount of work of a huge scale up in terms of both the appeal, the fundraising, the marketing, the communications around that without an incredibly wide partnership. And as I mentioned before, that stretches from the core secretariat here who are based in London to our member teams and their volunteers and their staff, to our broadcast partners and their staff, the rapid response network that includes uh, corporates and companies, the banking sector, organizations such as BA, PayPal, NatWest. I, I mean, I could run through a lot. I mean, the post office give us a emergency PO box number where people can send uh, donations and everything else. It's incredible, and it all comes together very smoothly and very quickly. It's not without its problems when you try to organize something as as quickly as, as but people are generally understanding. Uh, uh, and But what's more important for us is they're incredibly willing, incredibly committed to make it work and often drop their day jobs to help uh, the DEC. So that's why I feel incredibly proud, incredibly fortunate to, to be working in such a, 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 a wonderful uh, partnership. I can just imagine how rewarding it must be to feel so 
and to be so consequential, right, in terms of deploying resources. Um, you, you, you alluded to the fact that you need all of these partners and all of these pieces to come together, uh, including the digital, including the banking, including the fundraising, all of that. Uh, what happens in terms of the, once you, you generate that awareness, once you, you have the UK public engaged and giving, and indeed these funds are raised, how does that then move into a distribution to those 15 members? Uh, is it just, you know, we divide it by 15? Um, what does that look like? Because obviously 15 different organizations. Sure. Um, so we actually have um, something called the indicator of capacity. Um, and that actually looks at um, our members' ability to uh, to respond um, globally in terms of these humanitarian crises. And as, you, as you'd expect, uh, the larger organizations with larger capacity tend to get a larger share, but we cap it at uh, no more than 20%. And there's a, a floor of no less uh, than, than 3%. Um, so that's a formula that's worked really, really well for us for, for many, many years. And the great thing about having predetermined uh, sort of funds allocation in that sense is the members broadly know what they're going to get and we inform them what they're going to get within a week of us launching an appeal. I remember, as I've mentioned before, that as soon as we've launched an appeal or as soon as we know that we're launching an appeal, our member charities can already commit to humanitarian action on the ground and more about that in a moment. Uh, so within a week of the appeal, we actually more or less confirm what they're going to be getting because we are able to forecast what the overall appeal total is likely to be. And of course, we can always uh, adjust that. Um, so on that basis, it means uh, members have the confidence to go out and spend to procure, to employ, to do what they need to do to deliver that you know, important and, and, and uh, uh, very rapid humanitarian uh, response. Uh, so roughly speaking, just to go back in terms of those figures I mentioned earlier, uh, around two-thirds of the money that we raise, um, that we quote, for example, I mentioned um, Turkey, Syria, 150 million pounds, around two-thirds of that, just over 100 million pounds, is raised directly by the DC, and a third of that is raised across the membership. So, of course, they are responsible for what they raise and what comes into their accounts, if you like, and the DEC is then responsible for what we raise and what we allocate and distribute through the members. Now we have a, a very robust system then of monitoring and tracking how those funds are spent. Because um, people have given to the DEC, so the expectation is that we report back to them on how those funds are spent. So we have a very robust system around monitoring, evaluation, um, and of course, regular reporting uh, uh, from uh, the members. So then we can report back on how those funds have been spent. And as I mentioned earlier, clearly, um, we are a humanitarian organisation. It is about that emergency work. So these, the money goes to, to, to help save and protect people, whether that's with you know water, access to clean water, um, the sanitation. And I've been fortunate to have travelled and seen places like Turkey and seen how the funds have provided water and sanitation but also some of the th things that people don't tend to expect, psychosocial support. You know, you're, we're increasingly seeing in times of conflict or even natural disasters, earthquake, how 
these crises impact people's mental health, and none more so than the most vulnerable communities, children in particular, uh, women. Um, I was fortunate to travel to Odessa in, in, in Ukraine uh, last year and talk directly uh, to some of the communities that our members are supporting there on the ground. And without a doubt that although, of course, the support of uh, cash vouchers and food and water and accommodation are highly appreciated, it's those things that people uh, need uh, and and uh, often less planned for, that psychosocial support, helping people to, to recover from the trauma they face, but also helping uh, local organisations also um be responsive and to support the communities themselves so that they're not reliant on aid in the longer term those are the kind of things that really inspire me and really as i mentioned really feels a privilege to be able to be part of that experience absolutely and these 15 members who constitute the dec is that a static number or over the 60 years do members come do members go do members merge uh, no, so it's it's grown over the years. Um, our founding members have included uh, Save the Children, the Red Cross, uh, Christian Aid, uh, and, and one or two others. Uh, and over the years, it's 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 grown uh, slowly. Uh, the last two to join were the International Rescue Committee, just over a, a year and a half ago, and uh, Action Against uh, Hunger. Uh, however, we've now reached the cap of 15 members, so sadly we're closed for any new members, and I think that's the right call, uh, because ultimately we are only able to raise a finite amount of funds, and we want to be able to distribute the funds amongst a certain number of uh, charities without making the pieces of the cake, if you like, too small and ineffective. Of course, that is under constant review, and we would continue to, to, to review that. Uh, and our members do partner with other international organizations where there is capacity, where there is expertise, but increasingly more so with local and national partners. Uh, and through, which I'm sure many of your listeners will know, uh, the localization agenda, which is really make, making sure that we build the capacity of local actors and local organizations to be able to better respond to crises in those countries. Yeah. Are there individuals, organizations, corporates who support the DEC even when there isn't a an imminent crisis on the horizon or that's just uh, that's just occurred? Are there people who say, "Look, I know there's going to be a crisis, um, so let's save ourselves the trouble. Uh, we're going to support the DEC. Um, here's our commitment. Should something happen, this is what you get. Or you know, we're going to be giving to you anyway. It's." Um, as and when the, the need arises, you deploy it? Yeah, that, that's a very good question, Alberto. Um, ultimately, the DEC is about um, either responding to a big emergency or not, right? And often we are responding to more than one emergency, as we're talking now in Ukraine, in in, in Turkey, Syria, and exploring very actively the situation in, in Gaza, for example. So we really want to distinguish ourselves from uh, our member charities, if you like, that have that ongoing relationship and are able to respond more regularly to the smaller or regionalized crises, if you like. So it very much is about making sure that from a sort of collaboration and cooperation point of view, we're not competing with each other. So that kind of activity is really left to the members. However, having said that, we, we do have very strong and ongoing relationships with our 
rapid response network, it includes all the banks, includes many insurance companies, it includes organizations like the post office, the British Airways, uh, and increasingly more digital organizations and so forth. So that um, they are as well prepared as can be when we ask them for their support. Um, and they really like that because they also want to distinguish between the very big crises where they realize that they really must do something uh, as an organization, both for their customers' point of view, from their employment engagement, employee engagement, and everything else. And that's where the DEC really comes into being. And of course, we always and would encourage any of those organizations or others um, to form and have relationships with any of our members charities if they're talking about longer term development or preparedness or anything like that so we're quite quite um robust about making sure that the dec remains distinguished in terms of our mandate and how we respond so we don't blur the waters both for our members sake but also for the wider public's understanding of how we respond uh, so that when we do kick into action they know this is serious and that it's, it's, it's a call to action, which we've seen many, many times. They've responded with huge uh, generosity. And just in the last two years alone, an incredible uh, £600 million has been raised from the UK public, from the corporates in the UK, and from the UK uh, government, who've been incredibly uh, generous to the DEC. Now, even though these 15 members, know, there's a cap there, in terms of this rapid response network, someone listening to this, perhaps someone who's running a, a corporate, um, they're welcome, they're invited, they're welcome to get involved if they're interested in helping out. They're certainly welcome to to reach out and uh, talk to us. Um, just, uh, I'd ask people to uh, obviously get in contact with us directly or look on our website. There is an explanation in terms of how that rapid response network works. We are increasingly, of course, looking for organizations that can help us amplify the message. How can we get the message out there about the humanitarian crisis, what the needs are and how people uh, uh, can help? We're increasingly looking for organizations that would want to um, help match funding. Um, we're very uh, grateful to uh, FCDO, the UK government, for aid match, which uh, acts as a huge way of encouraging people to give even more money because they know their money will be doubled and thereby reaching more more people in need, if, if you like. Um, but we're also uh, very interested to hear from people who, who, who can add to the work that we do from their own experience, from their own skill set, whether it be from a logistics point of view from, from our members or whether it be just in terms of how we can better engage the UK public and others. So of course, if people are really interested to support the work of the DEC, do reach out to us. Um, and our contact details are all on our website. Great. Um, how did you get into this? Give us a little bit of an overview of how you ended up where you are today. Um, so I came actually from one of the member charities, which is Islamic Relief, uh, founded in uh, Birmingham in 1984. Uh, and I've been fortunate to have spent two, two, two spells with them. Uh, one of the sort of between the 90s and early 2000s, various positions, including marketing, fundraising, but also um, as head of their programs work. But but before I came, I was also the CEO of Islam Relief Worldwide. So that gave me the experience of what it is to run one of these uh, international organizations, both 
in terms of the sort of uh, the relationship, partnership working, of course, the fundraising and the marketing, but also quite clearly the governance and the delivery of uh, program at work. Uh, so I feel incredibly fortunate to have had that time with Islam Khalif, which, by the way, wasn't my career path initially. And I really stumbled across it through volunteer work. And once you get the humanitarian bug, as it were, there's nothing like it. And uh, although I spent a few years working in the public sector, looking at uh, here in the UK, working and supporting uh, disadvantaged communities with various things like education and health promotion, home for me is still the humanitarian sector. So uh, the DEC is a fantastic place to be. And um, I can't see any other organization beating that. Wonderful, wonderful. What's that key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind, that key thing? Uh, for me, it has to be about the power of collaboration, the power of joint working. And the DEC, of course, embed, you know, embodies that in terms of how we do that. I, I'm, I'm often hugely frustrated there isn't more like the DEC for different sectors. Um, I do genuinely feel that by working together, by having partnerships, uh, and, and having less competition and more collaboration is the, the right and fundamental way of moving forward in terms of impact uh, and effectiveness. So I would urge your listeners uh, in all sectors and predominantly in the international development and humanitarian sector um, and, and the wider charity sector, do look out there and see how can we collaborate? How can we work with others? How can we join up with others? It's not necessarily about mergers. It's really about identifying find ways of less competition, more collaboration, and thereby helping the money and the funds that we all raise and compete for go much further. That would be my takeaway. Sarleh, thank you so very much. Uh, for joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really fascinating behind-the-scenes look at your work uh, and the work that you guys do uh, bringing everyone together and internationally. So thank you for taking the time and, uh, and sharing a lot of the insight uh, that you have with us. Thank you, Alberto. It's a pleasure talking to you. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Sarleh Saeed, Chief Executive of the Disasters Emergency Committee, the DEC. For information about this conversation and more than 250 other interviews with remarkable thought leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Thoroughly enjoyed producing today's show for you, and I'll catch you this coming Monday.